Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I decided to get an illegal abortion. My friends helped me fundraise. It was an online sense provider and I developed septic uterus. Thankfully, I didn't need a hysterectomy, but I was facing 30 years to life and I ended up coming to the U.S. So this was my safe haven. Welcome. Hello. My name is Kristen. I'm so excited to share that regular weekly episodes of Unladylike are starting back very soon. I can't wait. I can't wait. And I also could not wait to share the conversation you're about to hear with one of the very first guests on Unladylike. This episode came out a couple of weeks ago on the Unladylike Patreon. Where for $5 a month, you get a new bonus episode every week. Sometimes it's just me. Sometimes it's me and a guest, like in this case. So go to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia if you want 115 episodes at the ready for you to listen to, including this one, which to quote one of one of the unladylike patrons who listened to the episode and left a comment, Amy's a superhero. So thank you, Amy. And stick around after the interview. I have a little bit of follow-up information that Amy wanted me to pass along as well. Okay, here you go. Hello, unladies. It's me, Kristen. Yeah, that's right. That's me. Today's episode is unprecedented. I don't think Unladylike has ever done a follow-up on a past guest. We've had repeat expert guests, but we've never gotten a life update quite like the one in store for you today. So let me set the stage. As y'all might know, the very first episode of Unladylike was how to pay for an abortion. And we talked to 
three folks in three very different financial situations who had abortions and had to figure out the money side of it quickly. So cut to a few weeks ago, the Dobbs decision has come down. I get on Instagram and in in what feels like one of those cinematic kinds of moments, a, a beam of light shone down, shined, shone, shone. It's definitely not shone down on my phone. It's shown on my phone because one of those guests had DM'd Unladylike, checking in to see if maybe we wanted to talk again with everything happening. Her name is Amy, and I had to laugh because she was also like, I'm not even sure if you remember me, but I was like, oh my God, Amy. Uh, Yeah, yeah, Amy, I remember you. And if y'all listened to that episode, I'm sure y'all remember her too. She grew up in Mexico where abortion was only legalized in 2021 when she was a teenager she had to get an illegal abortion. I wanted to play a clip from that first episode where we hear Amy talking about what happened when she was a teenager. So I had two main best friends and I told the first one of them, she and I did everything together. And then she said, cool, let's find the money somehow. So she just told some of our friends that I was going through some health issues and we needed the money. And that's when they all pitched in somehow to get the money. So I showed up there and um, it was just like an empty apartment. There was little to no furniture. There was just only one table. It was really cold. Um, He didn't really have like a sterilizer machine. So he was just boiling the (laughs) instruments in water. In a, on a stove, and he was just very... I mean, I knew it wasn't really safe. Beyond knowing that since then, Amy had become an abortion care nurse and was living in Texas, I had no... I really had no idea what Amy's... What, what had been going on with Amy at all. I had no idea the story that she had to share. And also, I mean... I wasn't surprised by her by her persistent passion, despite all all of the hellscape right now, to find a way through the fire, as she puts it. You shared your story of obtaining an illegal abortion on the very first episode of Unladylike, as you know, and that episode came out in early 2018. Catch me up on what's what's happened since then. Yeah, so since then, I uh, decided to become a nurse. So I finished my degree at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, and then I moved to Texas. At first, I was working in pediatric intensive care. But... Um, because truly, there were really no open positions in either abortion care or labor and delivery. And that was pretty much the only thing that was available um, that I would be, you know, enjoying to do. So as soon as, you know, SB8 hit, that's when I moved to Texas. And then an open position showed up 
for me. So I made the switch from pediatric intensive care to abortion care. I don't regret it one bit. It was really good. Um, I was able to to really expand abortion care, especially for undocumented women um, of Spanish speaking. And I would say, I should say um, also to non-binary and trans folks as well, because they often get left out of that narrative. So it's been quite a bit. I also got married. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. Was it daunting at all making a move to Texas post SB8, kind of knowing the landscape that you were walking into? So, yes, my PTSD was like, nope, 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 stay away. But what people don't realize is that by us having that, um, not that Wisconsin was any better, to be completely honest. I think uh, Texas in so many different ways is Wisconsin on steroids. But um, by us saying like, oh, at least I'm not in Texas or ew, Texas, ew, the Bible Belt. Yes, it sucks, but it also stigmatizes people that are trying to change that, people who are working in those communities. So while I am going to be completely honest, my first reaction was to tell my husband, nope, I don't want to move there. Are you crazy? But the more I thought about it, um, the more it made more clear that I was needed there the most. And um, and everything just fell into into you know, its place, SB8 made it virtually impossible to get an abortion. Um, it's called a six-week ban, but you can develop fetal heart tones um, pretty much any point after the fifth week. The earliest I saw was five weeks, three days. Mm. Um, and that patient already had fetal heart tones and I couldn't, you know, help them. Some of those people couldn't leave the state because of the border patrol checkpoints. So, you see where I'm going to. It's it's coming back to my story is that how can I obtain an illegal abortion? I was lucky enough that a neighbor took me to the hospital and that nurse let me go when the cops were called. But I could have ended up in jail. And there's so many people that ended up in jail at the time and also here in the U.S., even though Roe was still legal. I actually, you don't realize the amount of pro-life people that ended up in my clinic. You know, I literally saw someone at some point in my in my shadowing process, she called the clinic and was like, I have an appointment. And I'm like, okay, so come through. And they're like, no, but like the picket line is there. And I'm like, yeah, but they can't touch you. Do you want me to come out? And she's like, no, I need to enter through the back. And I'm like, um, the back is for staff only. Like it's, it's a little bit uh, like what's going on. And they're like, well, they know me. Like I'm there usually. And I'm like, oh. So we had to like, get her to the back. We got all the care that she needed. And then she swore, I was like, this is different. A baby would ruin my life right now. I wasn't trying to get pregnant. It was an accident. My situation is different. It's not like I was just sleeping around. And I tried to be as non-judgmental as possible and as nice. And I would just be like, hey, just kindly. Because I used to be the same way. When I when I had my abortion and I was recovering from that sepsis, I was like, I swear my situation is different. And my nurse was like, yeah, buddy just like every everyone do you think people do this for kicks or what and he was like oh oh i'm an asshole got it <laughs> you know and and it taught me a lot more empathy and i thought maybe you know that's all she needed to learn so i try to be the bigger person and be super nice and loving and all of that i kid you not she was in my my clinic on tuesday and by Friday, she was out on the picket line. No. Yeah, dead ass. 
people don't realize what it feels to be born in a place where you're not wanted. I was born to a mom that had me because she thought that that's what she needed to do. And she didn't get a chance to study what she wanted to study. So oftentimes, you know, she'll be like, I have to stay in this abusive relationship because you need a father because we're financially dependent on him. If I didn't have you, I could go to college. If I didn't have you, I could do X, Y, and Z. And just knowing that you're not wanted, just knowing that your mom needed to have you, it really changes your life. And it it pushes you to do some, to make so not healthy decisions. It changes you and it changes the way that you see love. I love children so much that I want them to be born when the situation is right for them, when, when they're loved cherished and when they're going to be protected it's not just about oh well let's just pop this out and then it'll take care of itself it's not it's not a goldfish that you can just forget about tell me a little bit more about your work as a nurse and what it entails and also the 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 folks that you tend to serve so i worked um and it it's it depends on the day because there would be some days where it would be um, at first there would be like ultrasound days and then there would be procedure days. But since SBA was kind of like constrictive time wise, we pretty much saw everybody that walked through the door. Um, and then for those who don't know, there's a 24 hour waiting period. So in the, the same physician who did your um, first ultrasound and read you uh, some non-medically accurate facts during your ultrasound um, is the, the same person that has to either do your suction or give you the pill, the first pill, the Mifeprex, the other ones you take at home. And also in Texas, they have to be available to do an ultrasound within seven to 14 days. So you have to <laughs> like, yeah, you have to juggle a bunch of things to fit into the schedule. Um, of the physicians. And sometimes we would, um, we have two different physicians at the time. And you had to be really careful how you schedule the patients. Because if this doctor could only be here Wednesday and Friday, and your patient can can be here on Wednesday, but they can't be back on Friday, then you're restarting the clock all over. And with SBA in place, you had to be really careful. So I was really thankful for the, for my team, they're my family, my um the reproductive healthcare assistants were amazing. They would check patients in, screen them for funding, make those appointments, do the intake. I would see their medical history. I would room them. So if they were over six weeks gestation by last by first day of last menstrual period, then I would do a preliminary ultrasound. And if I did not follow, if I did not found fetal heart tones, which are the electrical activity, it's not a full heart, does not have valves. Mm-hmm. It's not really a um, heartbeat per se like the ones that we have, is just the electrical activity. It literally looks like a flicker in in the screen. So let's say I don't see that, then I pass you to the physician and the physician has to do a sick and transvaginal ultrasound, read you those known accurate facts, and then you can proceed to the education, whether you want a suction or a pill. Then on the day of your procedure, let's say you want a pill. I um, go over what's expected, some things about, you know, how to avoid infection at home, how to best take the medication, how to manage your pain at home, how to manage the nausea, how much blood is too much blood, how big the uh, clots have to be, signs and symptoms of infection, all of that jazz. 
then the physician will come in, give you your first pill, and then you'll be out of your out, out on your way. Three to five days later, no matter which you choose, pill or suction, I would be doing infection surveillance calls on everybody. And then if you wanted a suction, you would have two options. So you would have sedation or just um, an analgesic uh, toradol, which is kind of like, I like to think of it as the big cousin of ibuprofen. If you chose the non-sedation, the, just the toradol, then you can drive yourself and you would be able to go within 15 minutes after your procedure if everything was okay. You know, if you, for example, decided sedation, then I would have to recover you for at least 30 minutes and everybody would be, um, I would check that one, you were not cramping too much, that your pain is controlled, and second, that you're not bleeding too much and, and can walk. But if you receive sedation, we would require you to have a driver for your own safety because the drugs that we use can make you very drowsy and we don't, we want to make sure that our patients are safe and get home safe. So yeah, I would have to do all the pre-op checklist, make sure that they're hemodynamically stable, which means their blood pressure, respiration, everything needed to be okay. And identify people who are contraindicated to have sedation um, based on their medical history or on medication that they took that day. And then, oh my God, sorry, my dog. (laughs) I would, in the OR, I would push the sedation. I would monitor their vitals. I would hold their hand. I would talk to them to make sure they were sedated, but they were still conscious. So I needed to make sure, you know, that they are not moving too much, that they are, that they feel safe and that they are able to process what's going on so that this, this is not like something traumatic because this shouldn't be. A lot of people, one of the biggest things that I would hear them say when they would come out and then they cry and they're like, I don't feel guilty. Like I'm a horrible person. I'm supposed to feel guilty. Where's all the blood? Like, why am I not in an insane amount of pain? And I'm like, cause it's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be a bloodbath. It's not supposed to be excruciating and it's not supposed to be this traumatic experience. It doesn't have to be. I think that that's one of the things that angered me the most was the stigma surrounding mm-hmm. this thing that my patients will feel like they're horrible people because they're not traumatized as if, you know, they had some kind of penance to pay for something that I don't believe is wrong. What happened once Dobbs was decided? I used to love Fridays because my husband and I were to, would just be like driving around, going to get like shaved ice with mango flavor, getting elotes. And then since the Supreme Court decision, Every Friday, my body just turns very stiff and I it's really hard to get out of bed. I don't know how to explain it. When the decision came down, um, it was actually a very traumatic day. And I was at the clinic. I was about to insert an IV on my patient. We were mm-hmm. um, back in the recovery area because I was about to roll her into the OR. You know, and my charge nurse, um, she's amazing. She's taught me so much. She um, is... Indian and is also um, Mexican-American. So two of our assistants are also second-generation Mexican-Americans. I feel like that place was amazing, right? And we were volunteering our weekends. Um, You know, we had like a schedule full of for those Saturday and Sunday in preparation for the Supreme Court because we wanted to, you know, get people in as soon as possible. So she tells me, hey, step away from the patient. I need to talk to you right now. And the first thing that came to my mind was like, fuck, who did I kill? (sighs) 
I was like, the fuck do you do? Like, I did not think that because, you know, we were expecting that to come down on Monday. And then she tells me, I break down. I, I, it was, it was a very horrible day. Every, every single person was crying in the clinic. Our patients were just sobbing. We're begging us to give them the pills, um, you know, and I felt like the clinic was on fire. And it was really, we were angry because while we were taking care of our patients, our leadership, who was very white and very privileged, um, was more worried to have calls with donors. Our CEO was very busy having calls with donors, with the media, and although we were in the same building, did not have the decency to come to us, to support us one bit. Then they gagged us. They told us we could not give resources for out of state. So we were like, what is later that day they said oh yeah it's okay for you to give them resources in a way I got to see who was an ally for sure and I who was just performative um sucks that a supreme court decision had to you know occur for me to know that my organization wasn't the best first of all I'm so I'm so sorry that you went through it in that kind of way like i i cannot imagine what that must have been like and just the ripple effects of it all and it sounds like if i'm hearing correctly basically once the word came down that day that the decision had happened y'all had to just had to stop Yes, I had to step away from the patient. I was like, the needle was out. I was about to poke her vein. And then that's when my church nurse was like, step away from the patient. And I'm never going to forget how she screamed and how terrified she was because her dad was going to kick her out. Luckily, as far as I can tell, they got care out of Mm -hmm. state, but not everybody was able to. Yeah, there's a lot of work to do. So are you still working with that clinic? No, they fired all the nurses. Um, Yeah. Did you all know that that was likely going to be the case when Dobbs happened? We were trying to convince them to let us join family planning, but they did not have the capacity, quote unquote, to um, integrate nurses in the organization. So we all got laid off. They did offer one position uh, of a follow-up coordinator for all of the nurses working. So, of course, like only one nurse was able to stay. And all of the assistants, but two decided to, you know, leave with us because, you know, their heart is very set on abortion care. The way that they laid us off was also not the nicest. I do not appreciate being escorted out of a building in front of my patients in an 88 degree weather and made, you know, and have to wait there for my husband because I don't drive. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't regret it. Like, I was able to help people. And I think that. It, it all depended on our team. Our church nurse was amazing. Um, we had a nurse from Waco that would come every other week to help us out. She's amazing. She trained me too. Um, all of our medical assistants were amazing. Like all of our reviews were, you know, our patients were in love with the way that we treated them. And I think that that was worth all of the bullshit that admin put us through and all of the politics and all of that. And I would still do it all over again for my patients because they were worth it. Oh, my God, Amy. How did you even start to process all of that? 
right after the the decision came through, I called, I don't know if you know her, Amelia Bono. She's one mm-hmm. of the co-founders of Shout Your Abortion. I love her like a sister. She's been for me there for me for a long time. And she was the reason why I was able to say out loud that I had an abortion. She's the reason I want to be an abortion provider. And when I, you know, get my practice, my biggest dream is to have her cut that bow to kind of like open the practice because she's done so much for me. You know, I called her and I was like, this is happening and I don't know what to do. And this is, you know, horrible. How are you? And she invited me to a quick action at the Supreme Court on July 4th. We set up an abortion pills kind of lemonade stand where um, we told people, hey, just so you know, advanced mm-hmm. provision, you can get them before you're pregnant. Or if you're pregnant and not under 12 weeks in the US, you can totally do this. I was able to answer questions. Um, a lot of people you know, had some misconceptions, like they didn't know the difference between plan B and abortion pills. They thought that there was a weight requirement. And you know, for those who don't know, plan B, if you are over 165 or 175 pounds, right around that line, um, it's less effective. But abortion pills don't have a weight limit. So there's that. A lot of people did not know you could get them online. A lot of people had no idea that you could have abortion pills, like, you know, order them before you're even pregnant. So there was a lot of like good knowledge to have. And a lot of people thought, oh, but I live in a red state. I can't do anything. And I'm like, oh, yes, you can. Let me show you. There's also for people who, um, you know, there was a lot of like nervousness, like, hey, if I do this, like, will I be in danger of my life? Because, you know, this is dangerous. And I'm like, it's actually very safe. Um, it's FDA approved. Yay, yay. And there is um, the miscarriage and abortion hotline. So it's staffed with medical professionals. So if you have questions, you know, you can always call them. Yeah, it was really it was really cool. I got to meet a lot of people that otherwise I wouldn't have. And I got to flick off the Supreme Court in real time. So that was amazing. Um, I, I was wearing a shirt that said I will aid in a bit abortion in the back. It said Fox Scotus. And the U was actually like a star with the American flag print in it. You know, it's like a lot of people um, don't realize like I was born here. I was born in Wisconsin. But because I did that, a lot of people were like, oh, don't you love your country? I'm like, yeah, because I love it. And I love the people that live in it. I want it to do better. Like I am allowed to criticize something that I see that does not align with what I want to see. Because we were rooted as a very racist society, a very oppressive country. And I would love the U.S. to stop being that. How would you describe the environment right now just within the reproductive health care community? It's very divided. I feel like a lot of people, we're very siloed from each other. So I feel like there's a lot of, you know, panic, a lot of when the dis- when the leak happened, I remember leadership being like, it's just the draft. It's not the final decision. You know, I'm holding out hope. And I'm over here being like, oh, these fucking white people. So this space is full with like angry people of color who are like, can you wake the fuck up and do something? As a person of color, I'm more likely to be a target of the police or the authorities. And I'm more likely to have a higher sentence. That's just a fact. So... <laughs> also in the reproductive space, right? There is a very problematic group, Rise Up for Abortion Rights. Yes. And they're not a good group. (laughs) Their leader is a a dude. um, 
Really? I didn't even realize that. Yeah, Bob uh, Bob something, Aquanian. I cannot pronounce his last name, but he's said a lot of like very messed up things, very transphobic and very homophobic things. Um, and they actually fundraise a lot of their money to spend it on themselves. Um, they kind of like profit a lot from shock value. So they're the ones putting bloody images or coat hangers, which as someone who actually had an illegal surgical procedure, it is extremely stigmatizing and is heavily disrespectful. We don't need coat hangers anymore. We don't, you know, and the process is not so bloody. Their rhetoric stigmatizes, you know, abortion. It doesn't have to be dangerous. We have pills now. And that's exactly what you know, shout your abortion did by bringing that abortion pill stand. That was like very different. A lot of these progressive white women that I talked to before, they were like, oh no, now we have to vote in November. I'm going to canvas and I'm going to take my friends to vote. And I'm like, cool, you do that. I am going to go teach people how to do abortion pills so that um, they can have safe, self-managed abortions at home. I'm only laughing because your impression is so spot on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Rise Up for Abortion, though, because I I've been concerned myself at just how like prominent it's gotten very quickly. Uh, They're stealing it from La Marea Verde, which for those who don't speak um, Spanish, that's a green wave that originated in Argentina, Argentinian women and have been amazing. They have been the model in Latin America to how to fight effectively for abortion rights. And then that green wave extended up on Latin America and it reached Mexico. That is our sign. That is our color. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that I own the rights to the green color, but there's a bunch of white people that are using something that Latin American women went to jail for. Some died in those protests some were heavily injured just so that, just to say, oh, yeah, we, we're with them. Because if you ask them, you're like, oh, are you with the green wave? And they're like, yeah, we are. But they have absolutely no affiliation with Maria Verde, like mm-hmm. whatsoever. And I am deeply insulted that they would think they can steal something that Latin American women fought so hard for. Because if you think the U.S. police is very oppressive, which it actually is and is very violent, wait until you are protesting in Latin America. There are people who have disappeared. There are people who have been beaten to death. There's so many things that these these people went went to like war with the cops for. And the fact that this very whitewashed organization that is only preying on a social movement is using it is infuriating to me. And also like, let's stop with the gendered language. Yeah, most of the abortions are for female presenting or cisgender women, but also we are leaving out, and I'm guilty of it because if you can't tell, it's so rooted in our language that I've, I've said like, oh, women this, women that, but you know, we are constantly leaving non-binary folks and transgender folks in all of this. And I think that we just need to remember to be kind to one another. And it's fine if you don't understand it. What's gonna help people now is education. That is our biggest tool and our biggest weapon for liberation, in my opinion. They don't want us to talk to each other. They don't want us to take care of each other. They're trying to scare us. Well, you don't sound scared. (laughs) No, no. You know, I get a lot of pushback from talking about my experience with Planned Parenthood. And they're like, oh, but they're so good. And what, what a lot of people don't realize is that 
even though they do some good, like, and not just specifically them, but like bigger orcs who have like big funding, you know, big money, um, we need to keep everyone accountable, you know, whether they are for our mission or not. Like, just because they're very like for repro rights does not give them a free pass to massively fuck up. And that's kind of like what I'm like, I, you know, I love my staff and I love the people I worked with. Um, and because we love the mission so much and we, you know, we truly have a special place in our heart for Planned Parenthood. I, I don't hate them by any means, but I want them to do better. Yeah. And that's exactly why we are, you know, openly saying, hey, these are things you can do better. You know, if we didn't really care, we'll be like, oh, yeah, that's just the way it is. Whatever. So what's what's next for you then? Um, well, I'm hoping to put um, I'm contacting some organizations to be able to be kind of like looking for contract jobs in in abortion care so in places where it's like legal Mm -hmm. i'm starting to contact organizations so to see if you know they would be interested in having me Um, of course i can't do full-time yet because i can't move in the foreseeable future i have um i need to be here for at least one more year um and then you know maybe be like a travel nurse for abortion services so yeah, that's what I want to do. I start um, hopefully my uh, training to be a sexual assault nurse examiner um, within the next month. So that is good. That is good. You're just doing all of the vital work, Amy. <laughs> well, I'm hoping to, you know, get a spot in grad school to be a midwife, but I need to get more experience um, first. And I kind of want to stay true to what I want to do. And since I was a victim of, you know, sexual violence, I figure that it would be a good place to be at in the meantime to to help other people that went through the same stuff that I did. You know, you mentioned Amelia as a role model, and I hope you know that you are a role model as well. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I am like a very flawed person. And like, I swear a lot. So I don't know. I'm just really glad you remembered me. I was like, I just I don't I don't know if they'll remember me, but I'll never forget you. What's keeping you going these days? I would, it's, it's hard, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of moving pieces that are keeping me going. Um, anytime I feel like I'm going to give up and I'm going to be like, fuck it, this is too hard. I look at Amelia. She's an amazing example. She's about to go to Poland to support Justina, a woman who's been incarcerated um, for giving abortion pills to someone in Poland. You know, whenever the world is on the fire, she shows me how we can escape the fire and maybe like find a way to survive in all of this. My grandma died from cervical cancer. It was a condition that heavily diagnosed on white white women or white people with um, cervixes. It's one of the biggest killers in among Latina or Latin, Latine. Uh, folks with cervixes. She never had a gynecologist visit despite giving birth to so many kids. I think she had, she has seven alive, uh, seven live births and then some more miscarriages. And, you know, when it was the whole COVID thing and I was taking care of her in Mexico, I remember her saying like, you know, like you can't quit. 
you didn't make it this far for you to quit. Like I did not raise a quitter. Do it for people like me. Like if you can't find it within yourself, if you can't, you know, do it for that little 16-year-old who who had to rely on other 16-year-olds to find the care that she needed, do it for people like me. Think think of all of the other people that you are going to impact in one way or another. And if you give up right now, you're going to be cutting access for other people's care. Women of color are born fighters because we need to in order to make it. After we talked, Amy reached back out to share a little bit more on mifepristone, a.k.a. medication abortion. Mifepristone may be the least marketed pharmaceutical product in the U.S. There aren't any ads for it on TV. Most doctors can't prescribe it. Pharmacists don't know much about it since it doesn't sit on the shelves at CVS or Walgreens. It would be reasonable to assume this is all because mifepristone is exceptionally dangerous, but it sends fewer people to the ER than Tylenol or Viagra. Let me repeat. It sends fewer people to the ER than Tylenol or Viagra. Abortion is so safe. It's safer than pregnancy. It is safer than childbirth. It is safer even than Tylenol. Abortion. It's safer than Tylenol. Maybe we should just rebrand pro-choice as, fuck you, it's safer than Tylenol. I think that would really, I think that could catch on. (laughs) Okay, friends. Again, if you want to catch up on what I've been talking about and who I've been talking to during this unladylike main feed hiatus, you can head over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. You can subscribe for $5 a month or more and get instantly 115 bonus episodes and a new episode every weekend. And I truly, deeply, madly appreciate all of the support. And I cannot wait for new episodes of Unladylike to be rolling out right here every week. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike.